Testament to 1 Kings chapter 14, where we're going to pick up our study. So 1 Kings chapter 14. So Travis, if anybody needs a Bible, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And uh, we got a few up here we can hand out. We're going to cover chapters 14 and 15, so if you want to read along with us tonight. So we'll see how far we get. And Travis, if you can close that back door over there. Thank you, Eileen. Appreciate it. Kids go out and they forget to close doors. You know how that is. I want to remind you this Saturday is our uh, all-church picnic. And uh, so at the Banowitz, and all the information is in your bulletin. I don't know if I have one with me. Here it is. Um, the address is there to Amy and Virtus's house. Most of you know where it is. Uh, but the, it's going to start at 5 o'clock. We'll provide the meat and drinks and the beans. And uh, if you want to bring a side dish, that would be wonderful. And um, they live. The address is there. Uh, it's easy to find. As you go east on Highway 34, as you hit the uh, County Road 49, which is the Kingsburg-Hudson Highway, you turn right, you go south for three miles, and then right at the intersection of County Road 49 and County Road 50, there's the Banowitz on the east side of the road. So you'll see all the cars over there in their barn. There's maps to their home at the information desk, and so you can pick one up. And I would encourage you to come bring a friend uh, if you'd like to. They're more than welcome to come. There's a, uh, uh, also a number if you need to call the Banowitz for anything. And uh, we're looking forward to it. So 5 o'clock. Let's all come together as a church and have a meal together. And uh, let's be blessed. And so I know that um, we're going to have a wonderful time on Saturday. I want to remind you, too, next week, Thursday the 30th, 1130, ladies, 55 and over luncheon. And so if you can sign up, and I know a number of ladies are signed up for that. And uh, so ladies, want to remind you of that coming up next week. And then also to remind the young married couples um, that we're going to have a fellowship time on September 7th that is on a Friday, and uh, we're going to have child care for that. So for you young married couples that have um, children, bring them by, and, um, and we'll make sure that they're watched and uh, have a nursery, and then the smaller kids uh, have that available for them as well. So that's on September 7th. Everything else is there uh, in your bulletin. September 8th, ladies cookout. There's a sign-up at the information desk. Uh, ladies sounds like a lot of fun. And some other things that are there, take a look at it. Also want to remind you, some of you didn't get the latest edition of the Calvary Magazine. We ran out. Uh, we have so many that we get. And uh, with the church growing, they went quickly. So there's some more there in the bookstore. So after service, you can pick one up one per family, and it's a really good magazine talking about all the ministries that uh, take place and what God is doing with the Calvary chapels all throughout the world. So grab one of those. I know you'll be tremendously blessed. So chapter 14 of 1 Kings, you should be there. As we continue our journey here in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 14, we'll begin reading at verse 1. I do want to just remind you at this time in our study that Solomon has uh, died and he ruled the nation for 40 years. And Solomon, of course, brought the nation into, uh, well, really his father David did. And, and Solomon uh, was ruling during that time that the nation was experiencing its greatest peace and, and prosperity. And he would build the temple of the Lord and, and he would have uh, other building projects and he amassed a lot of wealth. So Solomon would end up, at the end of his life, he would bow the knee to idols because of his thousand wives and concubines, many of his wives, being foreign wives, 
that worship foreign gods. So Solomon would build temples to those foreign gods, places of worship for them. He himself began to burn incense uh, to those false gods. And the Lord came along and spoke to Solomon and said, because you have done this, Solomon, the nation is going to split. And it's not going to happen in your day, Solomon. It's going to happen when your son uh, comes to the throne. So Solomon, after 40 years of reigning, he would die, and then his son Rehoboam would become the king. And you recall that when Rehoboam ascended to the throne, that the people came to Rehoboam, led by Jeroboam. Now Jeroboam was one of the adversaries that God had raised up to come against Solomon because Solomon had sinned. And Jeroboam, as you recall in 1 Kings chapter 11, was a, a mighty man of valor, as the scripture says. He was a great builder. He was very resourceful, a very capable individual. And he would flee to Egypt until the death of Solomon. And then when Solomon dies, he would come back. He would go with the people to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and say, hey, listen, can you ease up on the taxes and on the burdens? It, it's been too much for us. It's too... Uh, you know, much taxation. And it was Rehoboam, you recall, that he responded in chapter 12 of 1 Kings. He said that, no, I'm not going to do that. Matter of fact, I'm going to make it worse. I'm really going to lay it on you guys heavy. So it was the house of Israel, or that is the 10 northern tribes, that said, everyone to your own tents, O Israel, and what inheritance do we have with the son of Jesse? So the nation would split at that time, and of course, the 10 northern tribes would make up what is known as the house of Israel. And then uh, Judah down south, along with the tribe of Benjamin, would make up what is known as the house of Judah. So as we continue now through First and Second Kings, what we will see is some of the uh, text is going to be talking about the kings of Israel, starting with Jeroboam. What the people did is they made Jeroboam the first king of Israel. And of the 19 kings that ruled the house of Israel, those 10 northern tribes, every one of those kings we're going to see were evil kings. They were idol worshipers, beginning with Jeroboam. And you recall that Ahijah had come to Jeroboam and said this to him. He, Ahijah the prophet had this new garment and he cut it up into 12 uh, pieces and he gave 10 pieces to Jeroboam, you recall, and said, Jeroboam, thus says the Lord that uh, God's going to split the nation and you're going to receive 10 tribes called the house of Israel. And Jeroboam, you're going to rule over his people Israel. And also it was Jeroboam that was told that if you follow after the Lord, then the Lord will establish your house just as he did with David. So the promise of the covenant was given to Jeroboam. The promise that if you follow after me and worship me and, and walk in my ways and keep my commands and statutes, I'm going to bless you, Jeroboam, and I'm going to establish your house. But if not, it's going to be bad news. And what happened was Jeroboam, he ended up rejecting the Lord. He builds two places, two temples dedicated to the golden calf, one in Dan and one in Bethel. He tells the people of Israel, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Solomon's temple and worship, but you need to go to these places of worship dedicated to the golden calf. And so the house of Israel is plunged deep into idol worship. And we also know that it was Jeroboam whose heart isn't right. We're going to see tonight that he plunged Judah deep into idol worship as well. And so with this rejection um, that we see uh, of the Lord, 
we are going to read about the judgment on the house of Jeroboam. So let's begin to read that in chapter 14. And at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. And indeed, Ahijah, the prophet, is there, who told me that I would be king over this people. In verse 3, we read, Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will become of, of the child. So here is Jeroboam. His son, uh, Abijah, is sick. And, and it must be very serious because he tells his wife, go and disguise yourself and go seek the prophet Ahijah. Now remember that it was Ahijah that had come to Jeroboam and said that you're going to receive the ten northern tribes. So it is Jeroboam that remembers him, and he's the one that told me that I'm going to receive the house of Israel. So what you need to do is go see him and, and see what's going to become of our son. We do know that as we read through the Old Testament that prophets oftentimes were consulted on health matters. And we're going to see that several times as we move into Second Kings. And he doesn't seek, and it's interesting, isn't it, that Jeroboam here, who was worshiping at Bethel, as we saw last week in chapter 13, he was worshiping there. And you remember there was another prophet that came to him and pronounced judgment on the altar. And it was Jeroboam that wanted to arrest uh, the prophet of God, the prophet of God not named. And it was Jeroboam that his arm became withered and he cried out to the prophet, pray for me to the Lord that I might be healed. And at that time, Jeroboam, he didn't cry out to his false idol. He didn't cry out to his false god. And one of the points that we see throughout the Old Testament is the false gods did not help the people in their time of need. And here's Jeroboam once again in time of need. His son is sick. He doesn't go to his false god. He doesn't go, you know, and, and worship at the, at the false temple and altar. What he does is he tells his wife, disguise yourself, go tell and go see the prophet, the prophet of the true and living God, and see what's going to happen. And how foolish that is, isn't it? He wants to know what the future holds, but he doesn't want to turn to the one who holds the future. He's not wanting to, to have intercessory prayer. He, he doesn't want counsel. He doesn't want to repent of this idol worship. And he says, you, disguise yourself, uh, Mrs. Jeroboam, and go, and go see the prophet. And so in verse 4, and Jeroboam's wife did so. And she arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah, but Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. And now the Lord had said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. And thus and thus she shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. And so uh, there really was no reason for the wife of Jeroboam to disguise herself for a couple reasons. Number one, we know that the prophet uh, Ahijah, that he was old. He couldn't see. He was blind. But even though he was blind physically, he was not blind spiritually. He could see. And so even though she disguised herself, she didn't have to because he couldn't see her anyway. But even if he could, he knew that it was Jeroboam's wife. And he had a message for her and for her husband. 
I have been sent to you, as he says, with bad news, as we read in verse 6. If you have a King James that says heavy tidings. And I just want to remind us that whenever we reject the Lord, it's bad news. It's just bad news. And that's the message of the scripture that we see from Genesis to Revelation. And what my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would always receive from the Lord, be open to the Lord, that we will always desire to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. But whenever in any area of our lives that we decide that we're going to reject the Lord and His word given to us, listen, it's just going to be bad news. It is bad news. And we see, you know, bad news happening to people who reject the Lord. That's why we want to give them the good news, right? The good news of the gospel, that's what people need today. And we need to give that to them, to the people that are linked to us in our lives. Good news that Jesus Christ has come and died for your sins. He died on Calvary's cross for you. And now there's forgiveness of sin. There's the hope of heaven. There is right relationship that comes with, with the Father as you surrender your heart to him as you recognize your need for the Savior, that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, and as you just come and call upon Him, that He will hear your cry, and He will receive you to Himself and forgive you and give you the hope of heaven. You have a relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. That's the good news that we give, need to give to others. But whenever people reject that good news, they reject the ways of the Lord, it is going to be bad news for them. And so here she is, disguising herself. But I want to remind us also that it's so foolish to try to disguise yourself, so foolish to, to put on the mask or, you know, play act. That's what the word hypocrite literally means when you read about in the New Testament when Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers, that he would say, you hypocrites. And what that means is to play the part. It means to put on the mask. It speaks of somebody that has a part in the play. And, and here is she's uh, Jeroboam's uh, wife is playing the part, disguising herself. You see, here's the thing. You can come to church and you can say amen. You can sing the songs. You can, you know, uh, quote Bible verses. Uh, you can do that. But God really sees what's in your heart. And maybe you do that. I, I want to pass myself on as being a, a good Christian and a strong Christian. But then you go to work and you're telling the dirty jokes. And, and you're participating in in the conversation, which is crude, or gossip, or which is not good. Uh, you can fool me, you can fool your family, you can fool other people, but you can't fool God. Because He sees, and He really sees what is in your heart. Matter of fact, He's the only one that truly knows the heart. And so we need to be ones that present our hearts before the Lord each and every day as David did and said, search me and try me, and Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me. Don't try to, to play act. Don't, you know, be the one that you disguise yourself to others. You can fool others, but you will never fool God. And God sees through the disguises and the masks that we put on in our lives. And so here he says, I got bad news for you. And it is bad news as we see what it is. Verse 7, go and tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom and give, gave away from the house of David and gave it 
to you, and yet you, do, you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all of his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. And therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. And I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuge until it is all gone. And verse 11, And the dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken. So judgment is declared on the house of Jeroboam. Your family is going to be destroyed. Your family is going to be destroyed. I lifted you up. I gave you the house of Israel. You had opportunity to walk with me and to be established. And I don't believe that the, the heart of the Lord in saying this to Jeroboam is this angry God and, and Jeroboam, that's it. You're going to be cut off and, and the birds are going to come and eat of you and the dogs and all of this. And er, I think it's a brokenhearted Lord that is saying this. Oh, Jeroboam, you had opportunity to follow after me, but you went after other gods and provoked me to anger, to jealousy. And now what's going to happen is death is going to happen to you and to your house. Judgment is going to come. Your family is going to be destroyed. Today I see families that are being destroyed because of the rejection of the Lord. I believe that families today are being attacked more by the enemy and, and, you know, feeling the consequences of sin than ever before. And we see that more and more families are, are experiencing difficulties and terrible consequences because they won't come to the Lord. There's such an attack on the family today. And we need to pray for families. We need to pray for the families here at Calvary Chapel. I hope that you do. I hope you take a directory and that you really pray for the families that are here. And whenever there is a rejection of the Lord, we see the consequences of what happens. We see, and, and I know over the years of ministry, just I, I've seen families being destroyed because of sin, because of alcohol, because of drugs, because of pornography, because of rejection of the Lord, going after the foolish things of the world, pursuing the pleasures of the world, and families end up being destroyed, and it concerns me, and it breaks my heart, and it concerns you, I know, and it breaks your heart as you see it as well. And here's Jeroboam's family going to be destroyed because they didn't come to the true and the living God. That's why it's so important that we pray for our neighbors. We pray for our own extended family, that they would come to Christ. That's why we want to be a witness and a light to others. We want to pray for our community. What we need is Jesus Christ. What they need is Jesus Christ. And the good news, and respond to that. So families can be healthy and whole and, and be blessed in the Lord. That's what he wants to do in our marriages. That's what he wants to do with our families. He wants to do so much if we just yield to him and trust in him and come and just, just experience his love in a very real and deep way.
So here is this judgment as pronounced, and it continues, verse 12, Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who will come to the grave, because in him there is found something good towards the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. And moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam, this is the day, what, even now? For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sin and who has made Israel sin. So the immediate judgment that your son's going to die, we're going to see that in the next couple of verses. And then also... As your son's going to die, he's going to be buried and he'll be mourned. But verse 14, that we're going to see the fulfillment of Jeroboam's family being destroyed in the next chapter. And then also the third part of this judgment is that eventually Israel is going to go off into captivity. That is going to be fulfilled about 200 years later. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians come. And they take the ten northern tribes off into captivity. We'll see that at the end of Second Kings. But it was terrible. It was a terrible captivity, the Assyrians. And remember that during this time now, and when they go off into captivity, we see that things are bad, first of all, with Jeroboam and provoking the nation into idol worship. But we're going to see it's going to go from bad to even worse. We're going to see the, one of the worst kings of the house of Israel, Ahab, come on the scene in just a couple chapters, and he's going to plunge the nation deep into Baal worship. And Jezebel, his wife, which is a very wicked woman, we'll see that here as we continue on. But for these next 200 years, God still sent his prophets to the house of Israel to try to get them to repent. We're going to see that Elijah is going to come on the scene in just a few chapters at fiery prophet that was able to call down fire from heaven and cause a drought to, to come upon the land. And the Lord would do that to try to get the people to come back and turn back, but they did not, so they would go off into captivity by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were cruel. It was terrible. They put fish hooks in their mouths and drug them off into captivity. They just killed all kinds of people, tortured them. And that's why, you know, when you read about uh, Jonah, when he was called to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh, did he? He got on a boat and was going the other direction because not that he was afraid to go, he didn't want to go. He, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because of the cruel things that they were doing to people. He didn't want them to repent. So that was the whole idea of Jonah running in the other direction. So about 200 years later, they're going to go off into captivity just as he is being told here by Ahijah, or Jeroboam's wife is. And so verse 17, so she arose and departed and came to Terzah. And when she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. So we see the death of Jeroboam's son just as it was prophesied and now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they are written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nabad, his son, reigned in his place. The death of Jeroboam, when we go into First and Second Chronicles, 
the first and second chronicles speak mostly or pretty much exclusively of the kings of Judah. Um, but there is some mention of a few of the kings of Israel. And there is a mention of Jeroboam in uh, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 13. And what it tells us is that the Lord struck Jeroboam. We don't know how he struck him, but the Lord struck Jeroboam and he ends up um, you know, dying the first king of Israel here. And now, verse 21, and Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Now this is where we got to put our thinking caps on a little bit, guys. Because as we go through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it's going to go from, you know, the king there in uh, Israel, and then all of a sudden talking about the king in Judah. So remember that the nation has been split, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A lot of people who are not familiar with the Old Testament get that all mixed up. They read it and they think, oh, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, is it the same thing? No. It is the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, that Jeroboam was the first king, and now the house of Judah, and after the death of Solomon, it is Solomon's son Rehoboam that ascends to the throne. And Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nehemiah the Ammonitess. And now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. And for they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. In verse 24 we read, And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations, which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So Rehoboam, the king of Judah, uh, um, what we see here is that Rehoboam, he was one that continued with this idol worship. He would uh, put up the uh, places of, um, as we read um, there, the high places, verse 23, the sacred pillars, the wooden images on every high hill. Uh, what those places were were places of idol worship. And there were places where, uh, you know, immorality, sexual immorality was very much practiced. And it's interesting here also that we read in verse 24 that perverted persons were very much a part of Judah. And that speaks of sexual perversion. And it's the Hebrew word kadash. It has the meaning of male temple prostitutes is what it literally means. Probably speaking about homosexuality. So all of a sudden, do you remember in 1 Kings chapter 8 how the people, when the temple was built, not that long before this, that they were worshiping the Lord and the glory of the Lord was so, you know, so uh, bright and, and so glorious in the temple that the priests had to stop ministering and there was a great celebration and there was a gladness of heart and everybody went home just praising the Lord. It was such a wonderful time because they were dedicated to the Lord and all of a sudden now the nation is plunged deep into perversion and idol worship, this decline. And the high places that are there with this false worship. Rehoboam, he's an evil king here. And it says that it was the Lord, that, um, that he was jealous because of what was taking place. It, they provoked him to jealousy, verse 22, with their sins which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. 
Now keep this in mind, because we talked a little bit about it on Sunday as we were in James chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit testifies to us that God, he's a jealous God towards us. In other words, as the Lord talks about that he's a jealous God, he was jealous for his people. He wasn't jealous against the idols. They were false. They're nothing. But he was jealous for his people because he knew that their false worship and their immorality and perversion was going to be very harmful to them. And, of course, the house of Judah is going to go off in a captivity by the Babylonians beginning in about 605 B.C., about 300 years after this. And he knew God is brokenhearted and he's jealous for them. I remember um, Oprah Winfrey. Um, she had this web uh, cast that uh, she was on with this uh, new age teacher. And uh, I remember that millions of people were tuning into this. And, um, and she was very much into that. And I remember just watching a clip, clips of it. And she was talking about when she was in Sunday school as a little girl that she had a lesson that God is jealous for us. And she thought that was weird. She thought, well, why would God be jealous towards other religions and things like that? That's you know, not very good and not very nice. She got the wrong meaning of what God was saying. God is jealous for us because he is the true and the living God. And he does not want us to go off into that which is false and deceptive and, and, and pervert it because he knows that, as we have read tonight, it's bad news. Families are going to be destroyed. And it's going to lead to just bondage and captivity, just as what we're going to see happen to the house of Israel and the house of Judah as we continue reading about their history. He's jealous for us because he loves us and he doesn't want us to get hurt. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. He doesn't want us to be held in captivity by the enemy. He wants us to be free for us to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he desires for us to be devoted to him, to follow after him so he can bless our lives and we can experience that life abundantly that he has for us. And it happened, verse 25, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He also took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. It didn't take long. I mean, think about this. This is in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. Remember that we read about how Solomon had accumulated all the gold, all this gold, and made these gold shields for display and all of this? And here, five years after the death of Solomon, here comes the king of Egypt, Shishak, and he takes all of that away, the other treasures of the house of the Lord away, all of it gone in just five years after Solomon's death. All those years of strength and security gone because of their sin. And here's the thing. They probably thought they were strong and secure because of all the wealth that they had and all the gold that they had. But that wasn't their security. That wasn't their strength. Their security and strength was in the Lord. We're going to see in James chapter 5 this Sunday that James is going to touch on that as he's going to talk about those who are wealthy. Not that James is saying being wealthy is bad, but those who are wealthy independent of God, who were oppressing others, who were doing wrong to others, taking advantage of others. So we'll talk about that. You see, our strength isn't in the things that we have. We can be thankful for the things that we have, certainly. And we can use them for our benefit, but our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is knowing Him. 
He's the one that provides for us. Every good gift comes from above. And they had forgotten that. They thought, well, we got all this gold, we got all these treasuries, we got you know, great wealth, and five years later, it is gone. The king of Egypt comes and takes it away. It reminds me so much of what Jesus said. Don't store up your treasures here on earth where thieves break in and steal and where you know, they can, it can rust, where it can go away because the riches of this world can go away. We know the financial situation of, of the world and our nation that people have lost a lot of money in the last few years with the stock market that, that would you know, crash uh, several years ago and retirements were lost and, and investments were gone. It can go just like that. And so what the Lord is saying to us is we need to make it a priority to store up our treasures in heaven. And whatever it is that we have here on earth, we can't take it with us. And again, there's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. But here's the problem. If those things are a priority in your life, if that's all you're concerned about is amassing those things without any concern of being rich towards heaven, then there is a problem. When our possessions possess us, when they're the priority, when that becomes an idol to us, and it can easily happen. Rather than being thankful and being a good steward and using those things for the furtherance of the kingdom. See, there's a big difference. So store up your treasures in heaven because we have a heavenly inheritance. We were singing about that tonight. And the heavenly inheritance that we have is going to be more valuable, more glorious, greater than any wealth that we can accumulate here in this world. And it was Jesus that said, what good is it if you gain the whole world but yet you lose your own soul. May we make priority the things of the kingdom, storing up our treasures. Folks, this is a great, great time to be a Christian in that, that I believe that we're living in very unique days. I believe that we're living in the last days. And I believe that we're going to be seeing things that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. We're seeing them right now, the situation in the Middle East. We're seeing the events happen that exactly what the Bible said that is going to happen, that Israel's being isolated and, and turmoil in the Middle East. I don't know how the present situation is going to pan out. Only God knows. But I do know it's going to lead to a massive invasion against Israel led by Iran and Russia and some of the others. And we're watching the pieces of the puzzle come together. We're watching the current situation. We're looking at all the different prophecies, Psalm 83 and, and Jeremiah chapter 49. And, and we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 38. And we're saying, wow, could this, the events that are happening right now, be leading to that? Again, we don't know. We don't know if war's going to break out. But I know that, folks, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen. But it could that we wake up some morning here in the next weeks or months and missiles are flying throughout the Middle East. The tension is that high. The rhetoric between Israel and, and Iran is increasing. Iran is increasingly the ayatollahs and the leaders and military leaders calling for the destruction of Israel. They're, they're saying that Israel must be destroyed, looking for their 12th Iman, the Islamic Messiah to come on the scene and lead them to great glory. And they really believe that. Israel is preparing for war. And it's all written about in the scriptures how the upheaval is going to come. 
And I believe that people are going to be confused and they're going to be wondering. And we who know the scriptures, who are rich towards the Lord, who are studying what God has to say, you're going to be able to minister to those who are wondering and watching and wondering what's happening to this crazy world. Well, it's just as the Bible said, and our hope is in the Lord. It's not in this world. It's not in this world. I pray that there's nobody here that you think that there's hope in this world for you. You see, there isn't. The true hope for you is Jesus Christ, who came to this world and died for you. That's where your hope is at. And Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's going to establish his kingdom eventually, and he's going to sit on the throne. This world is going to go away, and the riches that we have, we can't take it with us. So we want to be rich towards God. This is not a time to get all sucked in by the seduction of the world and, and the things of the world to pull you away from the Lord. It's a time to engage. It's a time for this fellowship to engage. It's a time for this fellowship to be praying. It's a time for us to be witnessing. It's a time for us really to pray about, Lord, how can we be a light? And I know that we're doing that, and you're doing that. It's so wonderful to see it. The Lord wants to use us in such an incredible way and powerful way. It's perilous times, but it is a great time for a Christian to be a light in this dark world. So here is, is Rehoboam and, and, and all these things uh, uh, are going away, that, the splendor and glory, because they had fallen away from the Lord. In verse 27, then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. So the wealth and prosperity of the kingdom is gone. And Rehoboam makes shields of bronze. He, he tried to maintain an image. Remember that Solomon had these shields of gold? that were there, and he'd bring them into the house of Lebanon, and they were for display. Well, Rehoboam, because all of a sudden the gold shields are gone, he wants to try to maintain the image, but he doesn't have any gold. He only has bronze. Gold, of course, in the scripture speaks of purity. So can I ask us all a question tonight? Is the gold gone from your life, but yet you're trying to put on an image? That your heart isn't right with the Lord in maybe a certain area of your life. Maybe there's sin. Nobody else sees it. No, I put on an image. Kind of like what we were just talking about, the disguise of Jeroboam's wife. I can put on a disguise. But when night comes, I'm going to go down and I'm going to pull up pornography. Or maybe when I go to work, I'm going to be involved in crude talk or go with the guys and, and going drinking and partying after work or there's carnality of some sort, some kind of sin that the Lord's dealing with you about. The gold is gone, but I'm going to put on an image. I'm going to bring out the bronze. And God sees it. And he calls us to put away our sin and to come to him and to humble ourselves and to confess our sins and say, Lord, forgive me. He's such a loving, merciful God who when anyone comes and humbles himself and truly calls out to the Lord and calls for forgiveness, he's going to receive you. And you're going to just come to that place of God's mercy and grace being poured out on you. Don't try to put on an image. Because again, he sees the heart. In verse 29, now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? 
And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days, and so Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and his mother's name was Nehemiah and Ammonitus, and then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. So as we move into chapter 15 very quickly, then in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. And he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mahaka, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he committed, uh, commanded him, that is, all of the days of his life, except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 6, And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam uh, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. Just a couple quick notes about Abijam. Um, he uh, was one that was not a good king. Uh, we know that he only reigned for three years, the son of Rehoboam. When we compare to what is said in Second Chronicles chapter 13, it's interesting because Abijam, that's what he's called here. And Abijam, his name means a Canaanite sea god. So he's called Abijam here in First Kings. When you go to Second Chronicles chapter 13, he's called Ahijah, which means Yahweh is my father. And it's interesting, when you read that text in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, Abijam, or Ahijah here, this king, even though he ruled for only three years, he knew something of the Lord. And matter of fact, he goes to war against the house of Israel, and he gives this, this speech to the nation, and he calls them to trust in the Lord. So he knew somewhat something of the Lord, but yet he wasn't loyal to the Lord. He's double-minded is what he is. And also what it says, that he did not take down those high places, um, and, and he didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So when you compare the two, being double-minded is a little bit like Elijah when he is going to come on the scene here in a few chapters and he's going to call the house of Israel. He's going to say, how long are you going to be between two opinions? If Baal is worshipped, then worship him. If Jehovah is God, or if Baal is God, worship him. If Jehovah is God, then worship him. But you're straddling the fence is what you're doing. You're between two opinions. I hope that none of us here tonight are kind of that way, where you got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. you got too much of God in you to be happy in the world and too much of the world in you to be happy as a Christian. It's a miserable place to be. And that's what I think it was here with Ahijah or Ahijah. He knew something of the Lord, but he wasn't loyal to the Lord. He didn't fully trust in the Lord. He was double-minded. And the Lord wants us to be fully committed to him, single-minded, that is, having a mind after Christ is what he wants for us. And then verse 9, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Mahaka, the granddaughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David. And so 
Here is Asa. He's a good king dedicated to the Lord. We read about some of his reforms. Verse 12, And he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers have made. He also removed Mahaka, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Astara. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burnt it in the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. So here is Asa. He, he did some good things. He removed the perverted persons that Rehoboam had allowed to, to be in the land. He even removed his grandmother because she was an idol worshiper. And it teaches us something and reminds us of something very important. That is, God needs to be the priority in our lives. Remember that Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword to divide mother against daughter and father against son. And, and, and you know, what he was saying is, is that there's going to be separation because as you come to Christ, he needs to be the priority. You remember that it's another place that as Jesus was talking about being a disciple of Christ, that he said that you need to hate mother, father, son, daughter. He wasn't saying hate them, literally. What he was saying is that as he continued and said that you pick up your cross and follow after me, I need to be the priority. Of course we love our parents. Of course we love our family members. We love our children. But when we come to Christ, and some of you are in this situation, that there's a separation, isn't it? You don't join in with their carnality, their sin. And maybe they have ostracized you. Maybe they said, we don't want anything to do with you. Or maybe they want you to join in with their sinful activities, and you said no. And there is a separation that's there, because the Lord is the priority with you. And here, here is Asa. His you know, grandmother was an idol worshiper, and he said no. No more. We're going to get rid of those idols, and you know, you're not going to be the queen mother anymore. He dealt with it. And I'm sure that it was difficult, perhaps, but it was necessary. And for us who come to Christ, we need to stand up and stand firm in Christ. And it can be hard when it comes to family members or those that we love or co workers that are saying, Well, why don't you come join with us? And you know, our carnality or sin or, you know, they, they'll come down on you or come against you because you are a Christian. But Jesus is the priority and he needs to be the priority of our lives. He continues, as he said in verse 16, we read that there was war in, in verse 16 between Asa and Behesha, king of Israel, all their days. And Behesha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in as Asa king of Judah. Then Asa took the silver and the gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king house and delivered them into the hand of his servant. And king Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tamramun, and the son of Hezion, the king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, and there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ijon and Dan and Beth, Abel, Beth, Mahaka, and Shemaroth, and with all the land of Naphtali. Verse 21, now it happened with Baasha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and he remained in, in Tarsa. 
And then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempt, and he took away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Baasha he had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mitzpah. And the rest of the acts of Asa and all his might that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. A couple more minutes and then we're going to be done, but this is important. It's interesting. In the first two years of Asa's reign, Jeroboam, he was the king of Israel up north. And then Nabad would be king for a short time. And then we'll see Behesha. We'll review that uh, when we continue on. But it's interesting that as Asa brings these reforms, that what was happening, that the nation of, and the house of Judah was being blessed. So the people up in Israel were seeing that in the ten northern tribes. Because here was idol worship up there. It was, it's, it, it's going to get worse. The people were saying, hey, we want to go down to Judah. We want to go to Judah. And so what happened was, is that um, it was uh, the, the king of Israel, uh, Baasha, uh, that said, you know what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Ramah and I'm going to fortify it. In other words, it's going to keep people from going to Israel down to Judah. And it was an act of war. So what Asa does is he says, hmm, what I need to do is make a treaty with the king of Syria, Syria north of the house of Israel. So you have Syria, the house of Israel, and the house of Judah. Here is Baasha building this fortified city, trying to prevent the people from Israel coming down to Judah. It's an act of war, um, and he's there. He's just a few miles north of Jerusalem. And so what Asa does is he comes up with this brilliant plan, seemingly. He says, what I'll do is take the gold and silver out of the treasuries of the Lord house, and, and what I'll do is I'll send it and pay off Ben-Hadad up in Syria, and he'll attack from the north, the house of Israel. So when Baasha sees that, he's got to take his troops that are down there on my border and go up north and vacate, you know, Ramah and, and take care of this war with Ben-Hadad. And Ben-Hadad says, sure, pay me off and I'll do that for you, Asa. And it worked. It worked. It was a brilliant plan, seemingly. But you see, there's more to the story that First Kings doesn't Tell us about a couple more minutes and we'll be done. But this is important. You see, when you go to Second Chronicles chapter 13, what it tells us is that Asa, in the beginning of his reign, the Ethiopians down south had this million-man army. That's a huge army for ancient days. And the Ethiopians said, we're going to come and get you, Asa, and we're going to fight against you, Judah, and we're going to wipe you out. And Asa cried out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, is, is what he cried out, whether with many or with those who have no power. And it was the Lord that delivered Asa in the house of Judah and defeated and destroyed the army of the Ethiopians, a million-man army. So it was Azariah that the prophet that came to Asa after that and said, the Lord is with you, he's given you great victory, and he's going to continue to be with you. But if you forsake him, Asa... He's going to forsake you. He's going to forsake you. There was peace and prosperity in Judah for 35 years. The people of Israel are saying that they want to come down. Baasha says, no, no, we're going to come and prevent that from happening. We're going to, you know, put our troops on your border and all of this. It was a threat to Judah. 
So Asa comes up with this plan. And as I said, it seemed like a brilliant plan. It worked. But then the prophet of God would come to Asa and rebuke Asa. He said, Asa, you trusted in God against the Ethiopians. Why didn't you trust in God when it came to the house of Israel? Weren't the Ethiopians much bigger and much, you know, stronger army than what Baasa is doing with the house of Israel, sending troops of fortified Ramah? And there's no record in here of Asa going to the Lord saying, Lord, what do I do? He immediately takes the gold and the articles of, of gold out of the house of the Lord that belongs to the Lord, and he gives it, gives it to a pagan king and comes up with this plan, but he did not seek the Lord. So this prophet comes, and he rebukes Asa for that, and he says, Asa, know this, and it's a word for us tonight. He says, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards me. And that's a word for all of us. And maybe you're in a situation tonight. Maybe you're in a dilemma. Maybe you've got decisions that you need to make. And you're planning and you're plotting and you're scheming and you're conniving. I'm not saying that, you know, that we have to assassinate our brains, that we can't use them to make plans or to make goals, but are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking what He wants for your life, just as we talked about on Sunday morning? Or are you making plans apart from the Lord? Asa, you depended upon me in earlier in your reign, but all of a sudden, because of your success, and all of a sudden, because you've seen the blessing of the Lord, all of a sudden, you're self-reliant, and you're coming up with your own plans, and it wasn't what the Lord wanted, and you're paying off a pagan king. I would have defeated them. I would have been your help. And the Lord oftentimes says that to you and to me when we find ourselves in difficult situations, if we would just cry out to him, just as we sang tonight. And Lord, you will answer. And the heart that is loyal towards him, he will show himself strong on your behalf is the promise of the word of God given to us tonight. So will you go to him? And will you rely on him and cry out to him? and allow him to work in your life. You know what Asa did? He got angry. He threw that prophet in prison. And then it says in the 39th year of his reign that Asa became diseased in his feet and he died. Talk about being defeated. I mean, literally. You want to be defeated in life? Then you go through life trying to figure everything out on your own and your self-reliance, your own energy, and your own intellect, your own strength, and you're going to find yourself being defeated. Because the Lord wants to show himself strong on your behalf, and he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think of you. Just let him do it. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I know we went a little long tonight, and Lord, I just pray that right now we just got a couple minutes that Lord, we've gone over these things, that maybe you've touched hearts here tonight. You've spoken to us, certainly. It's, it's a message for all of us. And Lord, what my prayer is tonight as we come, we come and we just look for your mercy and your grace. I pray, first of all, that everybody has come to the good news. The bad news is the world isn't going to save you. There's no real hope in the world, 
It's just going to lead to bondage and captivity, just as the text in the scriptures is showing us. But the good news is Jesus came to free you from all that. If you never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that tonight. He loves you so much, and he came and died for you personally and individually for all of your sins. He's your hope. He's your Savior. There's none other. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that you can have forgiveness of sin as you come in faith and receive him to your heart. It's a free gift. You can't earn the righteousness of God. It's a free gift as you come in faith, realizing that you're a sinner. And Jesus calls you to repent and turn to him. It's a wonderful word, repent. It means that you surrender your life to him and receive eternal life and forgiveness and how he wants to work in your life and giving you that abundant life, but just joy and peace. If you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want to give you an opportunity tonight. Today is the day of salvation. If that means anything to anyone tonight, will you pray with me as you open up your heart to Jesus? Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I receive the good news. I confess that I am a sinner. Forgive me. And I believe that you died for me and that you were put into a grave and you rose again and you're alive and you're in my heart right now. And I surrender my heart completely to you as Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. I just want to ask tonight, if anybody prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand? We're out in the coffee shop. Anybody here tonight? We do this at every service. We, we want you to, to come to the Lord. Even if you're out in the coffee shop and the Lord sees, come to Christ. Open your heart. Father, for all of us tonight, pray that we wouldn't go through life disguising ourselves, putting up an image, Lord, being self-reliant, but wholly trusting in you. Because you want to show yourself strong on our behalf. Lord, help us to be ones that we just walk in your ways because your ways are good and true. Father, I pray for our families and our friends that, Lord, there's so much darkness out there and deception and perversion. Lord, keep us close to you. Help us to be a light to others. To be engaged in prayer. Praying for those that we know and love that are hurting, that are being deceived. Just take a moment. Will you just pray for anybody that's on your heart tonight that's experiencing the consequences of sin and bondage and captivity and maybe family members. Just Let's just take a minute. Oh, Lord, just help intervene. Touch their hearts. Father, may we be a light to them. May you soften their hearts, open up their hearts to you, take the blindness away. 
Help them to receive the truth, Lord. Father, I pray that we would be ones, that we would be a light individually in places we go to, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, other families, friends, school. We'd be a light, this church, this community, that we continue to be faithful to be in your word and stand on your word and the truth of what your word declares. As the radio program goes out, it would touch the hearts of individuals that are hearing it. Lord, they would come to know truth and be established in truth and come to know the gospel, the good news. Father, may we be wise and watching in the days in which we're in, knowing that, Lord, that your coming is very nigh. That we keep our eyes on you. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? I know I went a little long, but may the Lord bless you as we're going to close in song, and then we'll be dismissed.